This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM, 103.1 FM WMET, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek, Digital Editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Catholic Review. St. John Paul II was known for his devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary and for introducing the Luminous Mysteries to the Rosary. On today's show, in honor of the month of the Rosary and the upcoming feast of St. John Paul II, we speak with two guests about the Polish Pontiff. In our second segment, we'll talk with Gretchen Crow, Editorial Director for Periodicals at Our Sunday Visitor, who is author of two books on the Rosary, including her most recent, Praying the Rosary with St. John Paul II. But first, we welcome Father Matthew Buning, Chaplain of Catholic Campus Ministry at Towson University. Father Buning had the opportunity to meet St. John Paul II on two occasions. He'll talk about those meetings and also the special role St. John Paul II has had in inspiring young people. Here's our interview with Father Buning. Father Matt, could you tell us how you first met St. John Paul II? Yeah, it's amazing to think this leader of the Catholic Church, this holy man, this saint, the Pope himself, he would, believe it or not, invite people to come to his daily Mass if there was space available. You had to write to the order of nuns that kind of took care of the papal household, but it was a well-known kind of secret throughout all of the different seminaries throughout Rome that if you had some guests coming in or you just wanted to be lucky enough to attend Mass with the Holy Father, you would write this letter. And if there happened to be space at his daily Mass, he would actually invite you to join him. I almost feel like it's equivalent of like if the president had extra space on his breakfast table to invite someone just mm-hmm. to come in and, and share breakfast with him. So it was amazing experience. And so I, my father and my brother were going to come visit me my first year uh, studying in Rome. And my mom couldn't make it, unfortunately. And so I wrote to these sisters a couple months or so beforehand, hadn't heard anything back. Literally a few days before they were arrived, I got a call from the sisters saying, be at the bronze gates, which are these kind of fancy gates to enter into the papal apartments and things uh, at like seven o'clock in the morning. And you'd be able to attend daily mass with John Paul II. So I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. As soon as they got off the plane, I said, guess what, guys? We're going to go tomorrow and have Mass with John Paul II. (laughs) We arrive at the Bronze Gates, and uh, we're ushered into his chapel. It's a small chapel. I mean, there was probably no more than 30 people there. And there was, sure enough, three chairs waiting for us uh, to join him for Mass. I remember the Mass was in French, and I think he was welcoming a group of French ambassadors or people of state. Again, we were just extra, and we were put in the back of the chapel in these chairs. The Holy Father, by the way, when we walked in, was already vested and kneeling down on his prey to praying deeply. It was moving just to see that. We celebrated Mass with him in this small little chapel. And then afterwards, we're ushered from that room into a large kind of aula or big hall in the Vatican. We all line up around the walls, and uh, myself, my brother, and my father were the last because we were the kind of the add-ins for the Mass. 
And at the far end of the room, the Pope walks in. This is, by the way, in 1998. He walks in and he shakes uh, everybody's hand and gives them a rosary. And he did that for the 30 people ahead before me. And he would just shake their hands, give them a rosary. Not a word was said. Everybody was scared. You know, it was kind of like, oh, my gosh, the Pope's coming. And so he comes up to me. And he shakes my hand and he looks at me and he goes, Dove, which in Italian means, where are you from? My Italian was not very good at that time. But even if he would have spoke English, I would have had no idea what he was saying because I was so nervous. And he hadn't said a word the entire time, shaking all these people's hands. And he looks at me and maybe because I was obviously not part of the French delegation, he was like, where are you from? But I looked at him like a deer in the headlights. I had no idea what was going on. And there was this awkward pause. His secretary, who is now Bishop Jivitz, he started like panicking a little bit and he started screaming, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? (laughs) And so I said, "Uh, I'm from America. Well, the Pope knew by that time for sure I was from America. And he did that famous gesture, you know, with his hands where he kind of like waves them in the air a little bit. And he goes, Americans, Americans, (laughs) like that. And then with a really loving twinkle in his eye, he slaps me on the face. Like pretty hard, like a real, like a real slap, but it had its desired intent because it shook me out of this craziness that I was actually talking to John Paul II. I got my wits about me and I said, your holiness, this is my father and this is my brother. And so when he shook their hands, remember he said, the father, the brother, and he saw them. And as he was walking out of the room, he kind of looked back to me and did like a little wave again with that just magical twinkle in his eye. I don't know how to describe it. I remember at the at the end, my father was very emotional. And uh, he told me, he's like, I never even thought the Pope was like a real person. I see these pictures of him, you know, all over the place. But like to actually meet him and to actually have him call me the father uh, from John Paul II was really a great moment for him. <laughs> and then you actually got to meet him again at the very end of his life. How did that happen? Yeah. So every year, every so many years, the bishops of the world are called in for an ad limina visit, which is uh, a visit for them with the with the Holy Father. Cardinal Keeler was our archbishop at the time, and he invited me. I was a, I think I was a deacon at the time, and this was, you know, four or five years later, and his health had drastically decreased. He wasn't able to walk anymore, for example. We were ushered into for this meeting into a a smaller room and he was remaining seated at a desk and Cardinal Keeler invited each of us to come up and greet the Holy Father. I remember very vividly that his head was hunched over. He wasn't really even able to look up. There was actually, he was drooling a little bit. There was, you know, he was, had a long day of meetings and, and it was, was struggling, but he was there. I fell in love with him even more, I think, in that meeting than when he slapped me and, and gave me that little wink. This was a moment where I was, he was inviting and in, us into his suffering and suffering for us. And I think that was so much more moving. He's a rock star pope, right? He's amazing, John Paul II, his vitality, his energy. But I think in some ways what he's known for is his public witness of suffering and the strength that he showed in his Weakness, And maybe that's when he was his most powerful, most strong. In fact, at the end of his life, he was in the papal apartments uh, right above St. Peter's Square. And it, everyone knew that it was he was soon to go to his heavenly reward. 
And there was a large group of young people that gathered in the St. Peter's Square spontaneously right outside of his window. And they start chanting, you know, JP2, we love you, you know, Viva el Papa, you know, all the beautiful quote, Saint uh, Subito, Santo Subito, all those things. It's recorded that from his bed, he said, I have searched the world for you and now you have come to me. And I thought, what a beautiful moment where the young people, he searched for them all over the world uh, with World Youth Days and all kinds of great events that he started. And now at the end of his life, moved by his willingness to embrace whatever comes for love of the church and love of God, young people identified with that. And they came to him and they wanted to thank him and for his inspiration, his example of holiness and uh I just hold on to that moment, the second time that I, I met him, as really a great moment where I fell in love with him in a deeper way. Uh, yeah. What impact do you think the Pope had on youth ministry and, and campus ministry, especially as you minister here at Towson University? What what lessons do you draw from him? Certainly his creative, innovative ideas. Who would ever thought of something like World Youth Day? <laughs> I mean, that was crazy event. And how he even thought about it and the practicalities of bringing millions of people together every so often, uh, young people to basically take over whatever country or city they go to. Uh, I think that's one of the important aspects of, of youth ministry and young adult ministry is this kind of innovative, creative, let's try some new things. Let's, we can't just keep doing the same thing. We've got to constantly uh, try new projects, try new events, try new ideas that, that, that can, that can reach uh, young people. Um, so I think that's certainly, I think, one of his lasting legacies. The, the other thing too is his faithfulness, his willing to speak charity and truth. You know, he, it was so obvious he loved people. But at the same time, he would say, put out into the deep, like, this is not an easy call to be a Christian uh, in our world and to and to live out the Catholic faith in all of its truth. It's difficult, but the Pope was there to always show us, I love you, I forgive you, I'm always there for you, and I'll be there within your struggles and with your wrestling with faith when that happens, uh, which I think it happens healthily for all of us. He he was a witness of that as well, and I I know that resonates with young people. None of us are perfect, and we're still trying to figure it all out often. And knowing that there is not judgment, uh, but rather uh, a sense of great love and compassion, and yet holding you to a high standard and you know challenging you. I think sometimes the temptation in youth ministry is to lower the bar to make it really easy for everybody to kind of get over. John Paul II would never do that. He kept the bar high, and he said, I know you can do it. God can do it through you. Uh, trust in him, and you can reach great things. Don't don't settle for mediocrity. Yeah, that's one of his great lines. You know, just strive for, for holiness with all of your heart and soul, mind, and strength, and, and I'll be there for you to help you no matter what. Somehow it reminds me of a, a quote uh, that we all have heard uh, through uh, Cardinal O'Brien when he was here. I remember him saying once, God loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to keep you that way. You know, <laughs> he wants more from us. He's constantly wanting more. And that's an in- 
enticing thing for young people to hear. Um, sometimes we write them off, you know, and think, well, they're just, you know, we hear things, negative thoughts like, oh, they play video games all the time or they're lazy, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's true, but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> if we tell them that enough or we think of that enough of them, then, hey, that's what they'll live up to. But if we say, no, you're calling to be a saint. Nothing, nothing less. Like you're called to radical holiness and missionary discipleship. They'll live up to that. They want that challenge to be able to reach out for something bigger than maybe they themselves even think they can do. Our guest has been Father Matthew Buning, chaplain of Catholic Campus Ministry at Towson University. When we come back, we'll talk with Gretchen Crow, author of Praying the Rosary with St. John Paul II. I'm George Matisek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. Dogs, cats, hamsters, and horses were among those blessed the weekend of October 3rd and 4th as traditional pet blessings were held at parishes to commemorate the feast of St. Francis of Assisi. Following a Mass in Linthicum October 4th, St. Philip Neri's pastor, Father Michael Diascanis, made a grand entrance to the backfield of the parish school on Ramsey, a 14-year-old warm-blood horse that had performed at Medieval Times Dinner Theater. At least 40 parishes in the Archdiocese of Baltimore conducted pet blessings, with social distancing and other precautions during the global pandemic. Pope Francis released a new encyclical October 4th, in which he said, Professing faith in God as the creator of all human beings, or even simply recognizing that all people possess an inherent dignity, has concrete consequences for how people should treat one another and make decisions in politics economics, and social life. The Pope wrote in his encyclical Fratelli Tutti on fraternity and social friendship. From one of the virtual newsrooms of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM and 103.1 FM WMBT, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matisek. Gretchen Crow, editorial director for periodicals at our Sunday Visitor, is the author of two books on the rosary. We spoke with her about her most recent book, Praying the Rosary with St. John Paul II. Here's our interview with Gretchen Crow. So this is your second book on the rosary. Why are you so devoted to this topic? How, how did you discover the rosary and make use of it in your prayer life? Well, thank you for asking. You know, I was raised Catholic, and so I used to, uh, when I was going to sleep at night when I would have difficulty sleeping. I actually would sleep with a rosary in my hands uh, and fall asleep praying the rosary uh, because it's uh, just one of those beautiful devotions, which is rote, so you can pray Hail Mary after Hail Mary after Hail Mary. 
And it's, of course, good to stay attentive, but I was, you know, when I was a small child, it was very comforting to be able to have uh, the presence of the rosary and the presence of Mary with me uh, when I couldn't sleep. So so that was really, uh, was very formative to me when I was a child and um, continued to be throughout my adult life. In fact, uh, one of the first things that my now husband and I um, did together was pray the rosary. And it was at that point where I said, yeah, I, I think that this person is, was sent to me by God to marry. So uh, it, it definitely has a very special place in my in my prayer life and in my life. The Rosary is such a beloved devotion among Catholics, but even so there are still a lot of Catholics who don't really understand what the Rosary is all about. And there are a lot of non-Catholics who will just dismiss the Rosary outright or not really understand what the Rosary is. Could you tell us a bit about the origins of the Rosary and what the purpose of the Rosary is when, when we pray the Rosary? Sure. So the so the origins of the rosary go back to St. Dominic. Uh, it, it, actually, a group of monks were praying uh, the different prayers uh, of the rosary and found a way to kind of compile it together in a way so that instead of saying what, what are called psalter prayers, they could pray it as a group together. And so the prayer of the rosary is arranged in sets of 10 Hail Marys, and they're called decades. And each decade is comprised of the Lord's Prayer, so the Our Father, and then followed by ten Hail Marys, and then concluded with a Glory Be. And so each decade then uh, refers to a specific mystery. Within the Rosary, Catholic tradition, um, including from Pope St. John Paul II, um, says that there are uh, five different uh, mysteries in each set. So, for example, there are the joyful mysteries, and there are five mysteries within those, the glorious mysteries, and five mysteries within those, as well as the luminous and the sorrowful. So four different sets of five mysteries. And what it's supposed to do is the rosary is supposed to lead us closer to Jesus through Mary. And that is by contemplating the mysteries of Christ's life as seen through the eyes of Mary and also through Christ's public ministry, which we have in the Luminous Mysteries. The, the rosary is meant to bring us closer to Jesus through Mary, and it's by kind of praying those uh, Hail Marys, by praying the Our Father, and by contemplating on the, the life of Christ. And it leads all the way through Mary's Yes, and the Catholic tradition we call it her uh, the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and um, said that she would bear a son, and she said, yes, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy thy word. And leads all the way through the birth of Jesus, through the life, his public ministry, as I mentioned. The sorrowful mysteries tell the story of his passion and death. And then, of course, the glorious mysteries, we celebrate his resurrection, his ascent into heaven, and Mary's uh, assumption into heaven and her crowning in heaven as queen of heaven and earth. So really, throughout, as you pray the decades and the mysteries of the rosary, you get a full sense of the life of Christ, and uh, it's meant to bring you closer to him, understand him better. I think there is sometimes a misreading of the rosary, uh, the repetition of the rosary, especially non-Catholic Christians mm-hmm. might might take some issue with the, the repetition that's involved in saying the prayers of the rosary. Uh, they might point to the Gospel yeah. of Matthew where the, there's that passage that says that we shouldn't babble like the pagans, I think it says. But mm-hmm. that, that really is a misreading because 
the prayers are meant to take you to a space of meditation about the mystery that you're yeah. reflecting on. Is that right? Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think um, uh, it's a rote prayer, there's no doubt, but it doesn't mean that it's babbling. It doesn't mean that it's rote without meaning. Uh, it's meant to take the reciter of the rosary more deeply into contemplation um, and the contemplation of Christ um, is is what John Paul II called it. And, you know, he also called it a prayer that was marvelous in both its simplicity and its depth. And there's a lot to that. The rosary is a simple prayer, so anybody can pray it. The prayers are simple. They're easy to memorize and they're easy to recite. But at the same time, when you incorporate the reflection and the meditation on the mysteries of the rosary, it, it is deep. It becomes a very deep encounter with Jesus Christ. And, and then if you put another level on it, uh, what I kind of tried to explain in, in this book, Praying the Rosary with St. John Paul II, it's looking at the spiritual fruits uh, that can be derived from prayer in each mystery. So kind of the virtues that one can receive when you're praying the rosary mm-hmm. and meditating on each mystery. And uh and so those are those are some various levels that the rosary can help bring us to in our prayer life. So while you can certainly say that the rosary is, as John Paul said, a simple prayer, it certainly is one with great, great depth. John Paul II, as you mentioned, was a great proponent of the rosary, and he mm-hmm. actually added the luminous mysteries. What impact do you think that, that that addition has had in people's prayer lives? Yeah, so he did. So um, I think it was in 2002, he had an apostolic letter, uh, Rosarium Virginis Mariae, and as you mentioned, he introduced, he he proposed, as he said, uh, the luminous mysteries focused on Christ's public ministry and um, the other sets of of mysteries focus on um, on the, the early life of of Christ and as, as I mentioned his passion and death and then his resurrection and the glorious mysteries. So the luminous mysteries really introduce uh, by their very nature a deeper understanding of what Christ was doing, the proclamation of the gospel, uh, reflection on the transfiguration and of course the institution of the Holy Eucharist baptism. All those things that, that Christ was doing on earth in his public ministry that we are to follow. I think um, I think John Paul was so holy a man uh, that he was able to introduce these mysteries in a way that worked with tradition and a way that made complete sense uh, when you're praying the rosary. They, those mysteries fit in so well and uh, make sense as one's praying. So I think that the Luminous Mysteries have been a great gift to the Church uh, from John Paul II and uh, very grateful to him for for uh, writing that letter and for, for taking the time to introduce them to us. Your, your newest book, Praying the Rosary with St. John Paul II, has extensive reflections from the Pope himself. How do you hope people will use this book and, and use those reflections this book is meant to be a devotional. Uh, it's meant to be used during prayer, so while praying the rosary. So there are a couple of different ways that you can do that. Each chapter of the book, as I said, has uh, the, the different sets of mysteries. And so as you're praying the rosary, you can you can just walk through the mystery as you're as you're praying. 
So each mystery has a passage from Scripture that associates with the mystery. It also has uh, the spiritual fruit that I mentioned that's associated with each mystery. And then I wrote a little bit about how Pope St. John Paul II embodied each spiritual fruit. So, for example, for the first joyful mystery, the Feast of the Annunciation, as I mentioned, um, the spiritual fruit associated with that is humility. And so I uh, describe how Pope St. John Paul II um, had a habit of kissing the ground as he arrived every country, as he traveled, as we know he's one of the, he's, he's uh, the Pope that traveled the most during his pontificate, 26-year pontificate. And so kissing the ground, you know, I showed as an example of his great humility because immediately as he was coming to a different country, he, he made an action that, uh, I respect you, I love, I love you, the people that I'm coming to visit, I'm at your service. So it was a great sign of humility. Um, so that was the way that I had illustrated how he lived out that spiritual fruit. And then along with uh, that section um, within the mystery, I also included the gospel passage that could be read um, as you're praying the rosary, because, again, it's it's meant to be a a devotional, and uh, a reflection that St. John Paul II wrote about each particular mystery. So I I went back and I did a lot of research into his papal documents, into his general audience talks, uh, various homilies that he'd given over the time of his pontificate. Most of them are from his pontificate. There are some uh, from just before. Uh, But I went back and tried to find the the most, um, the best ones that kind of talked about each mystery so that as you're praying, you could read his reflections and, again, uh, be drawn in closer to each mystery and drawn closer to Christ through the rosary. So, uh, it can be uh, used in a couple of different ways. You could focus on the spiritual fruits. You could focus on the reflection. You could focus on both uh, if you have some time. Um, but uh, but it is meant to accompany one in prayer. And how can people get your book? You can get the book through osvcatholicbookstore.com. That's OSV as in Our Sunday Visitor. Or you can go and get it on Amazon. Our guest has been Gretchen Crow, author of Praying the Rosary with St. John Paul II. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow The Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.